have God's Word with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 this morning. And I'm going to read, I'm going to bounce from a, uh, Scripture verses to Scripture verses, and then we'll get started uh, this morning. And um, thank you so much for being here. It is good to see you in the Lord's house. And uh, look with me in John chapter 14 and beginning... In verse number one, verse number one, the Bible says, this is Jesus, remember, he's speaking to his disciples, and uh, he has just shared the Passover feast with his disciples, and he's given them the example of serving one another, and then he says these words to them, beginning in verse number one, he says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Notice, go over to verse number 16. Jesus says, and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Drop down to verse number 18. He says, I will not. Leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. You see, he's building a pattern here. He's building, he's trying to build his, his disciples, his followers up. Notice, drop down to verse number 26. He says, but the comforter that he says the Father is going to send, he says, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Continue reading. Look at verse 27. Peace. Notice he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. He says the same thing that he said in verse 1. He started by saying, let not your heart be troubled. And now here he says the same thing in verse 27. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's speaking of who? The Prince of the world. That's right, he's speaking of the devil. And then notice verse 31, he says, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, he says, and let us go hence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the gift of music that soothes the soul, that draws our hearts close, close to you. Father, I pray that you will give me the words to say. Certainly, as I always pray, that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, I pray that you will use your word to prick the heart today. God, that you'll use your word to change lives. God, I pray that you'll use your word to save the lost and reclaim the one that has strayed from you. God, I pray that you will use your word according to your divine will and purposes. God, I give you the praise for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. 
Well, again, I thank you for being here. Over the past couple of weeks, we started, a, two weeks ago, we started a new series on promises. And, uh, and uh, we've been talking about this thing about promises. We talked about how God's word could be trusted. You know, I have to establish the, the fact that this can be trusted. And we looked at it from a secular standpoint. I didn't try to circular, I didn't try to reason with you using the Bible. I actually used some secular information to try and make you to see just how provable God's word is and that it can be trusted. And then last week we talked about the promises that God gives us that when we pray. And so we continue talking about promises. And when I was a child, the most serious of all promises that I ever made when I was a child Come here for a second. The most serious promise I ever made when I was a child was one that you guys may be familiar with. It was the old pinky promise. Anybody ever made a pinky promise? Thank you. Anybody made a pinky promise here when you were little? Say, we don't do that anymore. We just text our friends and tell our friends what we're going to do. Uh, Here's another one I used to use. When it was with my brothers, especially when my brothers and I were on the cusp of getting in trouble, we used to make a promise to one another. I won't tell mom or dad. Right? And then we would seal that promise. And maybe some of you remember this. I would say, hey, I'm not going to tell mom or dad. Cross my heart and... Oh, promises. <laughs> we've all made them. And we've all broken them. Someone, I know, I, I was like looking uh, a couple weeks ago, I said, how many have broken promises? And I looked out and some people were like, you know, I don't think I ever broke a promise. Congratulations. Congratulations to you. Listen, in reality, some promises are kept, but also there are promises that are broken. And from our definition, since we're going to talk about promises, let's look at our definition again. A promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. And that a promise, notice it says a promise is a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made the right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. But here's the thing, a promise is dependent, or a better way of saying it, a promise is only as good as the one making the promise, right? If you make me a promise, how I respond doesn't matter at all. It's, if you say you're going to do something, the promise is incumbent upon you. And so a promise is only as good as the person making the promise. Whether it's a pinky promise, whether it's a cross my heart and hope to die promise, it's only as good as the one making it. And so this morning I want to talk to you about really one of the most precious promises that we have from God's Word. And we have a lot. By the way, there are over 8,810 promises in God's Word. Is that enough? I mean, wouldn't it have been good if it was just one? But we got over 8,800 promises in God's Word. But I want to talk to you about one of the most precious promises. And if you didn't pick it up when I was reading Scripture, it's the promise of peace. The promise of peace today. As I said, researchers have found that there are approximately 8,810 promises in the Bible. Interestingly enough... The promise of peace, the concept of peace, or the allusion to peace in Scripture is mentioned over 400 times. In fact, I count 429 times. I did the math, and I used a calculator, I'll be honest. That comes to 20.5% of the promises talking about peace. Now, a lot of them are referencing in the Old Testament. I understand that. They're referencing peace offerings that people would give back to God. 
But the, the thing is that over 400 times God's word is communicating a message of peace. And so I'd say it's pretty important. In English, the word peace speaks of a state of tranquility or quiet. How many people go home today and are praying that the children will give you an hour of peace? Yeah, some of you. Like, could I just have an hour of quiet? Some peace and tranquility in the home. Go outside and throw mud pies at each other. Do something. Leave mom and I alone for one hour. We pray for peace in that way. However, when we look at the biblical concept of peace, it's a little bit different, right? We say, we just want, uh, what is a namaste? We want peace, we want tr tranquility and quiet. But a biblical concept, peace, is much larger. And it is rooted in the heavily, heavily rooted in the Hebrew word shalom, which means to be complete. That's what peace is talking about. To be complete or to be sound. The actual verb of peace conveys the idea of living well in Scripture. When one lives well, they're at peace. As a noun, there are so many nuances when it comes to the word shalom or peace in the Old Testament. Shalom is seen as wholeness of life or body. It's also seen as representative of a right relationship or harmony between two parties or people. It's established by a covenant. Who established a covenant of peace in the Old Testament? God did. The peace was established by God. His peace is from God. We'll talk about this here in just a second. Shalom is also seen as success or fulfillment in life. It's also seen as victory over one's enemies or the absence of war. We say we're at peace, right? We're at peace with this neighboring country or whatever. There's no war. There's, there's absence of war. As an adjective, it goes back to that Hebrew word shalom. It actually means completeness and safety. But if you and I go to the New Testament and we look at the word peace, see we look at the word peace, uh, predominantly shalom in the Old Testament, we go to the New Testament, we look at the Greek word irene. The Greek word irene is the word that's most often translated as the word peace and it refers to this, a mental attitude, think about it, a mental attitude of tranquility based on a relationship with God in the Christian way of life. In other words, this, this irene is describing a person's correct response to the gift of God's grace. When you and I respond correctly to God's grace, irene says you will have peace. When you respond correctly, to God's grace. So let's see uh, in God's word what he has to say about this promise of peace. If you have God's word, turn over to Romans chapter 5. Now I'm going to have you turn with me a couple of different places this morning because I think it's important that you see that the Bible that you have, whether you have it on your phone, your iPad, or you have a printed copy, I would encourage you to get a printed copy all the time. It's important to have a copy of God's word, right? And the, if you have a copy, and man, you got it on your phone or something, man, take it in, read it. And if you need a copy, they're right there in the seat back in front of you. But in Romans chapter 5, I want you to notice, number one, if you're a note taker, we have peace with God. Number one, we have peace with God. Notice what Romans 5 says. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, verse number one, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice on this one verse, look at it again, our peace with God is permanent. It's a permanent state. It's not a peace that comes and goes with the wind. Why? Because it's not based on me. See, if it's based on me, we're in trouble. If, if peace is based on you, you're in trouble, right? Because that can come and go. But it says, therefore, being justified, that word justified means just as if you did not sin. Therefore, being just as if you did not sin, you have peace with God. And how do you have that peace? It says it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, our peace comes through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. Listen, his finished work on the cross and through the grave and everything provides our entryway to this thing called peace. And we can have peace with God. Turn with me. I'm going to keep you busy. Turn with me to Colossians 1. And you'll find that just past the book of Ephesians, Philippians, because I want you to look at Ephesians 2. It's important that we see these verses. Because I just said that his finished work is what provides you and I our entryway into peace. And so look at what Colossians 1, Colossians 1 has to say. Notice verse number 19. Number 19 and following. The Bible says, For it pleased the Father... That in him, who's that speaking of? In him is who? Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. Notice it says, For it pleased the Father that in him Jesus should all fullness dwell, and having, what does it say there? Made what? He made peace through the blood of his, whose cross? Jesus' cross. By him, Jesus, again, every time you see he or him or his, insert in your mind and in your heart, Jesus, because that's who it's speaking of. Notice it says, by him, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so look there in verse number 20 again. Notice, you see the word there? It says reconcile. The word reconcile means to restore a friendly relationship. If you look in an English dictionary, it means to restore a friendly relationship. But biblically, it means to end the estrangement that was caused by original sin. So the point is that to reconcile, that's the, that is the reward, so to speak, from atonement. Jesus paid the price, right? He atoned for my sin and your sin and the sin of the world. And because he did that, because he offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, 1 John 1, 2 tells us, not just me, not just you, for the sins of the world, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says he reconciled all things to himself. This is what he does. He is the peacemaker. We can be encouraged this morning, folks. I'm encouraged because my peace isn't based on something. It's based on someone. And his name is Jesus. Look back two pages. Two pages. I'm, I'm sure if it's one, two, well, actually three for me. Three pages to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. This is good for us to see. We have peace with God, but why do we have peace with God? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible beginning in verse number 12. It says, the Apostle Paul, writing to the saints at Ephesus, he says that at that time ye were without Christ. He's alluding to a time before they had Jesus Christ in their life. He says, at that time that ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of of what? 
a promise. God makes the promise through the covenant. He says, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh. That word nigh means you are made near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, there it is. For he is our what? Say that again. He is our what? Don't let the world, don't let the world take it away from you. I guarantee you, you walk out here and ain't nobody offering you peace. We got people going through serious illnesses. We got people trying to make decisions for their livelihood. We got people, we got some of our senior citizens that are praying about new uh, places where they're going to be moving to. And a lot of things in the world will not offer you peace. The only way that we have peace is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice it says verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That word enmity means hostility. He has torn away the hostility, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man. And notice what it says. So making what? Oh, I love Jesus. He is my peacemaker. He is my peace. I was, I was telling, I was finishing uh, our class this morning. You think about in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 14. And guys, I didn't give you this verse. But that's where the, the angels declare uh, peace and goodwill towards men. When Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, they said peace came into the world. Harmony broke through and came. Oh, what a wonderful thought to think about our peace. Through Jesus Christ. Back to our verses. Sorry guys that I did that to you. Back in verse number uh, 16. And that he might reconcile. There's that word reconcile again. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Having slain thee. There it is again. The hostility or enmity thereby. And notice verse 17. And came. And what did he also do? He came and he preached peace. To you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Oh, folks, Jesus is the peace that surpasses all understanding. You go out here into the world and you tell them that Jesus is your peace, they will look at you kind of funny. They'll be like, yeah, up, there goes another cuckoo bird. Hey, I'll be a cuckoo bird all day long. My wife says I'm a cuckoo bird anyway, right? It doesn't matter if somebody out the door tells me I'm a cuckoo bird. That's okay because one day, soon and very soon, this 53, almost 53-year-old man is going to go see the king. The same king who's my peace today will be my peace forevermore. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the peace that I have with God isn't based on what I do or what I say. It's based, it is based on Jesus Christ and it has been given freely. It didn't cost you a thing. Jesus didn't say, hey... Whosoever shall call upon me and give $1,000 to my church will be saved. He didn't say that. He said, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It didn't cost you a thing. Oh, it might cost you something to live for God. Oh, listen, he doesn't want us just to, just to reap the reward and do nothing with it. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to be changed. And so uh, there's this piece. There's only one prerequisite I put in my notes. There's only one prerequisite for peace with God, and that's peace, and that's faith. That's faith. The prerequisite to have peace is faith. Look at our verse again. Therefore, being justified 
by faith. How am I justified? Because I exercise faith. And the only one that gives me the ability to exercise that faith is God, a very God. Listen, I, he has to illuminate. He has to open up the eyes of my understanding that I might hear the word of God and be transformed. You think about the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. He was on his way to get more Christians and to imprison them. He was on that Damascus road and the light shone from heaven. Oh, and he was changed. Listen, we have peace with God only because of Jesus Christ our Lord. I think about Isaiah in Isaiah 53. The Bible prophesies about what Jesus would go through by saying this in Isaiah 53 and verse number 5. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. It says, he was bruised for our iniquities. And then it says, and the chastisement of our what? Was upon him. I didn't have to take it. You didn't have to take it. That's the good news. That Jesus says, hey, you can have peace with God through me. Oh, what a great and wonderful Savior we serve. The punishment for our sin was placed on him. We have peace with God. Number two, I want to encourage you that we have the peace of God. We have peace of God. Turn with me to Philippians. In fact, that would be, if you're at Ephesians, watch. One, two pages, not making you do a lot of work today. Two pages over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I want you to notice one verse. In verse number 7, the Bible tells us, And the peace of who? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now that's a great promise, but you have to go back one verse to actually understand, how do I appropriate that? How do I get that? You see, because here's what I find a lot of times. A lot of people read God's Word, and a lot of people know God's Word, but a lot of people aren't living God's Word. Like, I know it. Like, I'm smart. I know how. I know what the Bible says. I'm the smartest guy on the block, but I'm not living according to God's word. I meet a lot of smart people all the time. I, the good news about me is I never proclaim, I never, never uh, declare or, or pontificate that I'm the smartest guy in any room. Because especially if my wife's in the room, I'm never the smartest guy, right? We saw a guy, we saw a guy yesterday. You guys are like this. My wife and I went over to Manassas the metropolis known as Manassas. And uh, we saw a guy that walked by us and he says, I don't need Google. What a, yeah, I don't need Google, my wife knows everything. <laughs> I was like, hey, I need that shirt. <laughs> I need that shirt. I don't need Google, my wife already knows everything. All I have to do is ask her. <laughs> oh, listen, how am I going to appropriate the peace of God? Which the Bible says it passes all understanding. How do I do that? Look at verse number 6. In verse number 6 of, of Philippians 4, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing. What are you facing today? It falls in this category. Be careful for nothing. It says, but in, what does this say? Someone help me out in what? Everything. That means what? Yeah, I got news for you. The Greek actually means everything. It's, it's not some rocket science here. When it says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's exactly what it means. And then the following verse says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? 
And so we have to look at verse 6 to know how to appropriate the peace of God. And so a couple of little fun facts for you. Look at verse 6 again. Notice it says, be careful for nothing. I put down in my notes, why worry? Anybody a worrier today? Why worry? Because my Bible says be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Why? Why am I going to let the stinking, lying, murderous devil get me off track with a whole bunch of worry all the time, 24-7? By the way, I've been there, done that. And I had to learn to kick him out of my mind. I had to learn to kick him out of my life. Hey, you know you can do that, not because you're strong, but because he is strong. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. That's Matthew 6, 33. We're, we're always worried about where our next meal is going to come from, where, our, where the roof over our head is going to come from, what kind of car we're going to drive, what kind of clothes we're going to have. Uh, Gordon was teaching the other night, right? We're always worrying about these things. But the Bible says, seek ye first. Get the focus where it needs to be and then let God take care of the rest. Isaiah 26.3, I tell people this all the time. A lot of people say, oh, the pastor's just giving me a verse. You see, I give you verses because I actually believe the verses. The Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, that will kill, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Look at the colon. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Oh, if I need peace today, I need to keep my mind focused on Jesus instead of my own self and my own abilities. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your what? Need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. By the way, I want to caution you, caution you. Look at the verse again. It says, my God shall supply all your yeah, that's the hard part of that verse. It doesn't say God shall supply all your uh, ski boats and ski poles and all those uh, toys that we like to get, the four-wheeler, and it doesn't say that. That doesn't mean he won't give it to you, but it doesn't say that. It says God will supply all your need. What do you have need? Well, you need food and water. If you don't eat, I got news for you. The ramifications are pretty uh, uh, drastic. So you need, uh, and by the way, you do need clothing. I know you may think you don't, but you do, right? You need clothing, shelter, maybe somewhere to lay your head. You know, back in, back in Bible times, they didn't have uh, sleep number beds. They didn't have Tempur-Pedic. They had uh, a la mat. Allah, roll out the mat and sleep. And do you know, if you travel around this world, you'll find that that's about what the most of the world still has today. Oh, we're so blessed. Our God will supply all our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The Bible says be careful for nothing, but notice verse 6 again. It says pray for everything. Why? Because as we learned last week, Jeremiah says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Right? We have to call on him. We have to exercise prayer. The Bible also says give thanks. I was reading the other day, Psalm 100. I would encourage you today, just write that down as, a, as something to do later. Go read Psalm 100. 
If you're not a very thankful person, you struggle with that. Like, like I struggle with that. I'm like, like you're always, you're, you're like grumbly. You're like moaning and grumbling about what you don't have. Read Psalm 100 today. Put Psalm 100 in your heart of hearts today. Oh, listen, Colossians 1.12 tells us to give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And then notice what it says. And let the peace of who? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which ye are also called in one body and be thankful. Oh, be thankful for God's peace before. You know when we're thankful for God's peace, typically? We're thankful for God's peace after he brings us through the storm. Oh, look what God did. He brought me through the storm. No, we need to be thankful before the storm, during the storm, and after it, no matter what we're facing. Listen, my wife and I have faced some tough times. It hadn't all been peaches and cream in the household of Greg and Krita Von Ritter. But you know, my wife will tell you, and my wife's a strong woman. I'm so thankful for her. She's a strong woman. Sometimes, you know, a little strong to me. You know, has to lay it down to me. I, I'm a little thick up here sometimes. She has to, I have to go through remedial training. It's okay. It's okay. All right, I'm still breathing. <laughs> I'm still breathing. <laughs> We've been through some rough times, but there's one thing I can tell you with all my heart, that God has never left us. He's been with us in the valley. He's been with us on the mountaintop. When I thought I was dying, there have been times, if you don't know my story, there were times that I thought I was dying, especially in 2007. My wife will tell you, I cried out to God for seven hours, as for seven hours straight, I had dry heave after dry heave after dry heave. I thought I was dying. I had cryptosporidium. I had... I forget all the other stuff I had. Cryptosporidium was enough. What was, what was the other stuff I had? I can't even remember it. I'll remember it tonight at about 2 in the morning. I had so many diagnoses that when they came and brought me pain medicine, I cried and told the nurse, please don't put that in my IV. I will, I will be sick. And she looked at me and said, you're delirious. You don't, need, you don't know what you need. She put that thing in, and about 30 seconds later, I started seven hours of nonstop sickness. I cried out to God. But one thing I know is that God never left me. He never forsook me. And he brought me through it. He brought me through it. What a sense of humor he must have. <laughs> or else he said, I'm not ready for you. I got more for you to do, right? I got more for you to do. Oh, listen, we have peace with God. We have peace of God. Our peace with God is a matter of the heart and full fellowship with him. And the peace of God is the legacy that I have and that you have in Jesus Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He said, my peace I give unto you. He told his disciples, and by the way, if you're a disciple or a Christ follower, the promise is just as good for you as it was for his disciples of old when he says, my peace I give unto you, he's saying it to you today. You can have peace with God and you can have the peace of God. And then lastly, this morning, we have peace from God. 
over and over, and we don't have time to search the scriptures, but in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 7, I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul here in his greeting to the church at Rome, in which he does the same to the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossus, the church at Thessalonica. The point is, this is a real thing with Paul, that every time he wrote a letter to these churches, notice what he says. Here's an example in Romans 1, in verse number 7. He says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and what does he say? And peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, we have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And Paul is reminding you and me and saints everywhere that we have peace from God. The source of our peace, if you're a note taker, is God. The source of our peace is none other than God. He is Jehovah Shalom. Well, I just like saying that. I was walking around the other day. I was just like, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. And if you know me, I was like changing my inflection and, and my, you know, I was trying to be very uh, uh, old school with it and, and sound. Just think about that today. Your peace is God. Jehovah Oh, what a promise from God. He's the beginning and the ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is our great I Am. Galatians 5.22 teaches you and I that peace is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that we have residing inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. After sharing many lessons in John chapter 13 through John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching lessons, he's teaching thoughts, he's teaching promises to his disciples and then he gets to the very end of John chapter 16. If you know those texts, John 13, 14, 15, he gets to John chapter 16, and he actually tells his disciples, he says, I got some good news and some bad news. He said, I've already told you, you know, be servants. I've already told you not to be troubled, uh, that I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. And I told you that I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's, he's sharing all the good news. Then he gets to chapter 16 and says, oh, by the way, the world will kill you. They hated me and they're going to hate you for your faith. And the world will think they're doing the world a favor when they put you to death. But you get down to the last part of chapter 16. That's a feel-good message there at the beginning of John chapter 16. But you get to the very end of John chapter 16 in verse number 33. Notice what Jesus wraps it all up with. When he says in verse number 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me, you might have what? You think he was concerned about his followers understanding the peace that they have through him? He says, I have told all these things, I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, notice he says, in the world you're going to have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, the world can neither give us peace and the world can't take it away. Don't let them take it away. Oh, they'll try, but our spiritual peace doesn't come from any performance of duties. It doesn't come from any service. It doesn't come from your church attendance. By the way, 
you ask me, I say you ought to be in the church every time the doors are open. You say, well, that's what you're going to say, you're the pastor. No, the Bible says forsake not the assembling of themselves together, as the manner of some is, but even so much more as you see the day approaching. See, God knows that as the days wax on, the world is going to try and trick us and tell us that we don't need to be together. Oh, but we do. We need to be together to encourage one another so that we don't walk out of this place without peace, that we are reminded each and every day. Oh, he is the substance and sum total of our peace. He's the source of our peace. Secondly there, I would say he's the, the supply of our peace is unending. I was reading in Job chapter 38 the other day, and if you read from verses 19 to 23, you have to really get into the passage. But those verses there remind us that God's peace is full and that it's reserved for us for all time. You think about Isaiah in 9, verse number 6, the Bible says that Jesus, it prophesies about Jesus being our peace. But in verse number 7, the Bible promises that the increase, his government will increase. And notice what it also says here. It says, of the increase of his government and what? Peace, there shall be what? It's unending. His peace will last forever. Hey, guess what? One day... He's going to put an end to all this foolishness. One day the eastern sky will break open. And that old pale rider will come on that white horse. Oh man, you don't like horses? I do. I'm looking forward to it one day. And he's going to come and he's going to have a vesture on him. And it's going to say, Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to put an end to all this foolishness. He's going to put an end to the wiles and the methods of the devil once and for all. Oh, what a day that will be when Jesus returns. His peace is unending. And then the surety of our peace and all of God's promises, I know from Scripture, the Bible says they never will fail. In fact, Psalm 119, Psalm 119 and 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. And notice what it says, and nothing shall offend them. Folks, you see, the Old Testament anticipated peace, and the New Testament confirms peace. God said in Jeremiah 29, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. What does he say? What are those thoughts? He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of what? Peace. And not of evil. And what does he say? To give you an expected end. Oh, that ought to bring peace to our hearts. Because when God promises something, we can be confident to stand on his promises. Oh, our peacemaker is Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. He brings it and we will never run out. I close with this verse. In Psalm 29, 11, you might want to write it down. Psalm 29, 11, The Bible says these words. It says, The Lord will give strength unto his people, and the Lord will bless his people with what? With peace. You may be here this morning and you say, You know what? I hear what you're saying. You're talking about peace with God. You're talking about the peace of God. You're talking about peace from God. But to be quite honest with you and with myself and with God, God already knows my heart. I've never, I've never experienced that kind of peace. I'm struggling. Listen, I'm searching for real peace, and I've been looking in all the wrong places. Maybe that's you this morning. You say, I've been searching for peace, but I've never experienced it. I want to encourage you the best I can this morning to open up your heart and to understand that you can have peace. But you'll not have peace with me 
you'll not have peace with your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your children, whatever, until you have peace with God. And that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus offered it. He's offering it to every one of us today. Again, I echo the words, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you can put into application Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, please don't leave. Please don't walk out without the peace that you can have with God by trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you may be here this morning and say, well, I'm saved. You've never told me anything new today. I know about the peace with God, the peace of God, and the peace from God, and yada, yada, yada. I'm so smart. But maybe you've been struggling to celebrate that peace. There are times in my life where it's been difficult to celebrate the peace I have with God. I alluded to one time when I was in the hospital in Missouri. It was a struggle. <laughs> it was a struggle to keep my mind focused on the fact that I had peace with God in the midst of laying in a hospital bed for weeks after weeks after weeks thinking that I was going to die. And my wife will tell you that's exactly how I felt. That's exactly how I felt in that moment. So maybe you're here and you say, I've struggled to celebrate the peace. I would encourage you to recommit yourself. Hit the reset button. Hit the reset button. I want to recommit myself to that relationship that celebrates peace with God, to the relationship that celebrates and understands I have peace and it's from God and it's of God. And I know that God is my source. I know that his supply is un unending and I know that it will never, ever fail me. Maybe that's you today. Job, I was reading the story of Job and Eliphaz. He said these words to Job. He, he, he had a wrong idea of Job's faith in God. And he says these words. He says to Job, acquaint now thyself with him. He's telling Job, who says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. The same guy who told his wife, you speak as a strange woman after she told him to, cur told him to curse God and die. He tells Job, and Job 22, 21, he says, Acquaint now thyself with him, speaking of the Lord God. He says, And be at peace, and thereby good shall come unto thee. The point that was made here is that the more we know and understand God's character of peace, the easier it will become, the greater level of peace you and I will enjoy. And so I encourage you to do business with the Lord while he is near. Isaiah 26, 3 again says, That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.